real quick to Isaiah chapter 61. Um, we are doing uh, probably a series of series around that particular scripture, in particular the first four verses, before we get started. How are you guys doing? I'm glad you are. No one feels a little foggy-headed like maybe the pastor does? Okay. <laughs> yeah, from, from the daylight savings. Yeah, lost an hour of sleep, and uh, it's surprising sometimes the impact that one hour can have. Isaiah 61, uh, it says this, and, and again, this is just by way of introduction. It says that <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news or the gospel to the poor. Uh, it, can I remind us that in Luke chapter 4, this scripture is what Jesus uses as kind of a mission statement. It's the first passage of scripture and the only really that we see Jesus uh, sermonizing from. And he declares that this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes, meaning that this is his mission statement. And the reason that I want to say that on the front end is because if it's his mission statement and he does not change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, this continues to be his mission statement. And if it's his mission statement, and if I have received him as the Lord of my life, and he now dwells inside of me, it becomes my mission statement. On that basis, are you interested in knowing what the rest of it says? Uh, to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. We're speaking metaphorically here. This is about captivity in our thinking and in our minds. It's talking about brokenness, not of our physical heart, but of our, our heart, our innermost being. Proclaim liberty, uh, the opening of prison, them that are bound, to uh, proclaim the, the, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they would be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, and they, who are they? <clears throat> Rodney says the restored, go all the way back to verse 1, the poor. And you may say, well, who are you calling poor? No, that word doesn't mean poor, as in like economic poverty. That's talking about need. It's the same thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the it's the knowledge that you have need and the willingness to receive it. How many of you have ever given advice to somebody and found that they are not really taking it? It's frustrating, right? Do you think God ever feels that way towards us? That is what poverty of spirit is. God, Jesus is God's solution, and the good news of Jesus goes to the poor, those who are willing to receive it. Today, we're going to baptize some who have been willing to receive the gospel of Jesus and to receive him as who he is in their life. And the idea is that they, those who receive Jesus, walk with him, will rebuild old ruins. In other words, the gospel transforms my life so that God can now use me to bring transformation to other lives. You understand? And that begins, that process of transformation begins not with getting a, 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 a seminary degree. In fact, it may, it may never even include any such thing. It begins with allowing Jesus to walk you in heart 
healing. That's where it begins. Life begins and, and flows from the heart. And that's where God starts, right? And so what we've been talking about over the past number of weeks is how the gospel, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's the gospel that heals hearts. But what we're going to talk about today is that it's not just the gospel in the sense of truth and a message and information. Before the gospel, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Without the spirit, the life of God, the activity of God, that thing that makes what is real in heaven become activated in my life, without that, there is no healing. And so we want to live in a place of spiritual experience of Jesus, not just knowledge of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look into today. You good? So if you'll look with me, uh, well, you're, you're already there. Well, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. As, as, as you're turning there, I just want to kind of reference something. I referenced it a few weeks ago, that when I first met the Lord, I guess I'd, I'd say it that way. Some of you haven't heard that terminology and may think it's weird. That's fine. When I, when I first came into an actual relationship with God, I was at age of 17 years old, and uh, I was in a private Catholic school in Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up, and I had a class with Father Richard Lopez, the priest, obviously. He oversaw the religious instruction, and um, he was teaching a class one day in my senior year of high school. He started talking about knowing Jesus versus knowing about Jesus, and kind of led us through an exercise to compare uh, how do we know Abraham Lincoln versus our very best friend. And I realized I know about Abraham Lincoln, but I've clearly never met him. My best friend, on the other hand, I clearly know very well. They know me very well. And I realized I did not have that, but he, it, that struck a chord because he said that you could have that. So there are two revelations that came to me that day. One is that I did not have something that Father Lopez was saying was the crux of the matter with regards to the gospel, an in, a intimate relationship with God, where I actually knew him not only as good as my best friend, but even closest. I realized that there was a void in my life, and perhaps the biggest void that there could be. If God exists, then certainly knowing him would be the most important thing. I didn't even have that. That was the first thing I knew. second thing I knew is apparently, according to Rich Father Lopez, you could have this. In fact, you were supposed to have this. In fact, this is why Jesus died on the cross. And so he said, seek, Richard, Father Lopez said, seek and you shall find. That's all he told us. So that night I went home, uh, did all the stuff that teenagers do during the day probably, at least this teenager used to do. And I, but I, I went to bed that night and I prayed. And as I did, I said, God, I, I feel like I don't, know you, but I want to know you. And you said, Jesus, seek and you will find. So I'm wanting you to know I'm seeking you. Help me to find you. In that moment, it was like scriptures or things I had heard from somewhere just started coming up in my spirit. And I knew in that moment, I heard somewhere about repenting and I heard somewhere about confessing Jesus as Lord. And I just kind of knew in my spirit, that's what I need to do in order to have this relationship. And so I began to repent and just say, Lord, you know, and I started trying to think like a good Catholic would. 
of all the things that I would do, like I would tell a priest when we went to confession, if you know anything about Catholicism. And I started trying to come up with all the things that, that I had done, and, and then I realized, I don't even know what sin is. I, you're going to have to show me. And so I said, Jesus, I, I just, I know that I sin, and I want, to, I want you to know that I'm turning from that. I'm turning my life over to you. And kind of the next natural progression of that was to say, and Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Lead me. And I, I, that night, no man led me through that. I, in fact, it was only six months after that that I realized that those evangelical people talk about being saved and born again. I think that happened to me because something changed in my life. This is real. This is not theory to me. What am I getting at? That was not just information that came to me that night. That's my whole point in telling you the story. The Spirit of God brought to my remembrance things that I had heard from somewhere. And, and from that experience, there's something in me that no man can take away because I know I know him. And it's not just that night. It's been progressively walking with him up to this very moment of walking with him, seeking him, knowing him, allowing him to have his way. You follow? It's the, it is spiritual communication that can only come by the Spirit. And so the first thing that we want to look at today is in Genesis chapter 1 is the foundation is that we were created for this. We were created for spiritual fellowship with God. And, and that spiritual encounter is the basis of the heart healing that leads us into the fulfillment of our purpose. A lot of people try to lunge forward in their purpose without allowing the Lord to first touch the heart. And it's, in fact, the healing of the heart that leads and, innate and creates the env environment in which your purpose can be fulfilled. So spiritual encounter is the basis of healing. And, but, but you were created for spiritual fellowship. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind, listen to this, in our image, in our likeness. And if you jump down to verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Now, I want to ask you guys a question, I'm, and this is not rhetorical. I want to ask the question, what does that mean? Don't say it out loud, but what does that mean, that we're created in his image? Does that mean that God is this gigantic human form in the sky somewhere, like beyond the clouds, and we're like made in his image? Not if you think I'm right. Shake your head if you think that's wrong. Or just look at me. Either way is fine. There's something that suggests, even in our hearts, surely that can't be the fulfillment of what that means, that we're made in his image. So if it's not that God is some ginormous, physical, human-shaped being out somewhere with hair and nostrils and shoulders and, and, and what, whatnot, what, what would that mean that we're made in his image? Because clearly the scripture thinks it's important that we know this. We're made in his image. Well, one thing it would mean is that we're created in his image in that we are the children of God. Each thing that he creates, living thing, reproduces after its own kind. We alone are the only ones who are in his image after his own kind. So we're created as the children, the offspring of God. That's important. But I would dare say the other aspect, if, you'll, if you can flip over to John chapter 4, verse 24, you don't have to turn there, is that God, Jesus says, God is spirit. 
Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we're made in his image, we uniquely, amongst all of creation, have been created as spiritual beings, having a spirit for the purpose of spiritual communication and communion with God as his children. We were created for this, to dwell with him and to abide with him and to know him in the same way as that same God came to me that night when I was 17 years old and, and, and revealed things into my spirit that led to my conversion. You follow? This is not about us doing the good religious thing and being holy. Good luck trying to be holy. Anybody ever tried that, by the way? It doesn't work. But knowing Jesus, authentically following him and his voice in your heart, that leads you into holiness because he is holy. You follow? This is not about performance and getting somewhere so he can approve you. It's receiving him so that he can have his way with you, which is righteous. Okay, so we were created for spiritual fellowship. God is a spirit. And listen to this in John chapter 14, verse 16. This is what Jesus says. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Talking about heart healing. Comfort. The Holy Spirit's role is to be a comforter. So listen to this. That he may abide with you forever. Abide with you. What does abide mean? That means to dwell with, to live with. The Holy Spirit, for those who have received Jesus, in the way that I described, I received him, repenting and receiving him as Lord. That's who he is. He sends his Holy Spirit to live with you. This is not a doctrine. This is an experience. He wants to live and be and communicate and lead you. That wasn't a grammatically correct sentence, but you followed what I was trying to say. <laughs> Abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him, neither knows him. Listen to this. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, who's Jesus talking to in John chapter 14? He's talking to his disciples. And so what does he mean? He dwells with you and shall be in you. He, what he's saying is that the Spirit of God was inside the person of Jesus himself, and that his disciples knew the Spirit because they knew him, Jesus, and they were following him, and in so much as they were with Jesus, they were following a physical body that had the Spirit of God inside him. He's saying, you know the Spirit because he has been with you and shall be in you, which is to say he is going to depart his physical body from this earth and it will actually be even better when he does because he will send the Spirit to dwell with those who have received Jesus as Lord. The same Spirit that was in Jesus, that Jesus could say, I only do what I see the Father doing. How did he see the Father? Was it with his eyes or with his, with his Spirit? I only see I only do what I see the Father doing. That same spirit dwells inside of anyone who has received Jesus to communicate with you, to bring you into the same relationship that he himself had with his Father. So this is not, yes, it is the gospel. It is truth 
that displaces the lies that break our hearts. Absolutely. It's the knowledge of the love of God. Absolutely. But it is communicated to us by the Spirit of God in our innermost being. And so we've, we want to learn to facilitate experience and encounter with God. Our heart healing is found in both believing good news and regular spiritual encounter. Can I make the point that Jesus' life, the very life of Jesus, was an encounter with God and man? Um, in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse 14, it says, I'll just read this quickly, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, if you don't know, well, first of all, the, we know the virgin bore a son, the Virgin Mary. This is written 800 years before Jesus, and it's talking about a virgin, and we know Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a virgin. She bore a son, but shall call his name Emmanuel. I was pretty sure his name was Jesus, right? Uh, is, it, it, they didn't, they, or Yeshua in the, in the Hebrew uh, so what are we talking about? His name shall be called Emmanuel. If you look at that, the Hebrew word for name, that's talking about his identity, what he was, his reputation, what he was known, what he is to be known as is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. The very life of Jesus, the very story of Jesus is the story of God pursuing man to, for man to encounter directly God. This is the story, folks. This is the gospel. This is the point. God with us. God wanting to abide in us. God wanting us to know him, and not just know him, even like we know our best friend or our closest family companion, to abide in you. The most intimate fellowship, intricately inseparable relationship that you could possibly have. This is the story. So Jesus was an encounter. John chapter 1 says this, John, uh, the gospel of John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who do you think was the Word? Who are we talking about here? Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that, that meaning he tabernacled amongst us, he abided amongst us, the word became a human and, and made his dwelling with us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. My friends, Jesus is God's living communication to us, Jesus is God showing himself to us, man had the spiritual communion cut off because of sin at the fall. Man could no longer see or know God because our spirits became dead. And because God so wanted us to know him, he became a person to live in, in our midst and to show us the face of God in the person of Jesus. So that after having died on a cross for our sins, if we repent, if we receive him, we don't just get to see him by reading the Gospels. We actually have him come and dwell inside of us. This is the fullness of redemption. This is the point. Spiritual encounter. I hope that's making sense. So not only was Jesus' life an encounter of God and man, but the church 
of Jesus started with an encounter. If you look with me to Acts chapter 2, go to the, towards the middle of the Bible, you'll find the New Testament, starting with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and the fifth book of the New Testament is the book of Acts. Go to the second chapter there, and I'll just read the first seven verses. The church started, the church started with an encounter. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is the story of, of, the, of the birth of the church. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? And so just a couple things I want to point out there. First of all, the Spirit being poured out upon people, upon the church, it, it, we, they heard a rushing mighty wind. They heard it. it. I believe they probably felt something. They saw tongues of fire on, side, uh, on top of their heads, and then they began to speak, which means they made themselves auditory uh, manifestation of what was happening by the Spirit. The first point there is that the Spirit makes active in the earth, that which is in heaven. Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do these things happen? What is going on in heaven happen in the earth? By the power of the spirit that dwells inside of us. The spirit of God makes active, makes alive at every level. And even, even what I was saying earlier about the, the night that I received Jesus, it, it went from a message that I had heard from a priest earlier that day to something becoming alive inside of me. Almost the feeling of me hearing God. Does that make sense? It, it's, it was almost like I told him, I, I'm seeking you, help me to find you. And in that moment, scripture started to come. Well, where did that come from? Up in, into my heart. The Spirit, the Spirit is the living part of God that makes alive to us the things of the kingdom of God. The Spirit also brings about an encounter. If you didn't know what happened in that, the rest of that verse, we're not reading it now, but these God-fearing Jews that heard the noise of the speaking in tongues, they all surrounded this upper room, and they all started saying, what are these men doing, and how are they speaking in our language? And then Peter stood up and he preached the gospel for the first time since Jesus ascended. And there were 3,000 people who gave their lives to the Lord that day. The point being is that Jesus gives us an encounter with him through the Spirit so that we encounter him, so that through us the world ultimately will encounter him. God's called us to be rebuilders of ruins, right? It begins with us encountering him so that the encounter flows through us 
and becomes a testimony to other people who see us. Now, I'm not saying that this means that we all need to start speaking in tongues at work and people are going to, you know, how is this? I mean, if God does that, that's cool. I'm all for that. I'm, but I'm just saying it's, it's about yielding yourself to Jesus, allowing him to do what you, he wants to do, and then your life becomes a testimony. So the, the, the church began. This is the beginning of the church. Would you agree with me? It began with an encounter. If the church, the disciples, the apostles, and the original disciples needed an encounter in order to begin the process of what they were called to do, do you not think that we need the Spirit of God today? Somehow we've made Christianity, some have made Christianity, into a cerebral experience, into a doctrinal thought process of what we believe and what we don't believe. And I'm all for truth, don't get me wrong, but truth is a living person. His name is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this whole thing is relationship, to be, to, to be an encounter. And so the church begins with an encounter, but encountering God, as we kind of started, and, and we'll just kind of end it here, encountering God is the basis of true heart healing. If you go to the very next chapter, Acts chapter 3, we have another moment where the, where the gospel is preached and, uh, and, and there's a, a public testimony of Jesus. And that gospel presentation, again through the mouth of, of Peter, the apostle and disciple of Jesus, in Acts 3, verse 19 and 20, he, he concludes that first presentation of the gospel as public out in the, in the temple with these words. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. That word presence, the, 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 the instruction is to repent and to be converted, but the product of that of repenting and converting is for a, a purpose to be accomplished. And that purpose, apparently, is that times of refreshing would come. Isn't that nice? We hear about repentance, and it's almost like, you know, get right, boy. You know, and, and it's like we're bad, and we just need to repent in order that somehow will actually accept us. When, in fact, God's heart towards repentance is to free us from those worldly things that hold us in bondage so that he can bless us with times of refreshing. This, again, is not theory. This is real. Times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. That word for presence, it, 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 would, it would mean face or countenance, as in like being face-to-face -face with the Lord. And that idea of refreshing is, is, is like revival or coming to life again or, or um, like catching your breath. How many of you ever felt that life caused you to feel as though you kind of were, maybe your heart needed to catch its own breath? And, and God's saying you're living under a yoke that you or the world or the devil or your family or whatever are putting on you that I'm not putting on you. And I want you to find refreshing in my presence 
so that you don't live your life out of what you think you must do and what the world tells you you must do. Live from the inner communication that comes from my spirit and you will find refreshing in that place. Times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. Um, I can, but, but then it also says, and that, verse 20, and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. Well, what does he mean? If I repent, I'll receive times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord and that he'll send Jesus Christ. I thought the Father just took Jesus up into the heavens. Right? Didn't he ascend to go be with the Father? Why is he going to send Jesus back? I mean, make up your mind, God. You're going to take him up or you're going to send him back? Do, do, do we mean send him physically back? Do you think? No, probably not. If it's not physical, then what does it mean? He'll send the Spirit to dwell inside of you. Jesus himself, not Jesus B, part B, Jesus will dwell with you. God will send the Spirit of Christ to dwell in you. It is the same Spirit that was here in Jesus' body 2,000 years ago, dwelling inside of you, revealing to you the same things that the Father was revealing to him so that he could live in the purpose of God. This is what we're called to do, my friends. Do you know, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true living God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Most of the church says that eternal life is that when you die, you get to go to heaven because you're a Christian. I want to suggest that there's a whole lot more to Jesus than that. And that, in fact, by Jesus' definition of eternal life, that knowing him, that being the definition, that begins the moment you know him. In other words, the moment I received Jesus at 17, eternal life began for me. Heaven began. Why? Heaven is inside of me. That's not an arrogant comment. By his grace, nothing I did other than say yes to him. Heaven is already inside of me. When I go to heaven, when I die, it's just the, the buying the house after receiving the down payment. To speak like a realtor. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached before to you. Encounter with God brings about fullness of joy. Psalm 1611 says this, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. In the last scripture we read, that times of refreshing will, refreshing will come in the presence of the Lord. In your presence is fullness of joy. I, a number of years ago, a long time ago, it was probably like 2004, I used to, uh, I, was, I was doing some work, and we used to live down in Georgia, and I was at the office, and I think I was like the last one to leave that day. And I just had a, 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 a niggly feeling in my heart. There was like, like there was something off. Um, and uh, have you ever had that? Like you just kind of feel like a stress or something uncomfortable in your heart, but you don't even know what it is. You just kind of know it's there. And so no one else was at the office. I was going to be the one to kind of lock up that, that day. And I had to swing by the church uh, later on. And so I, there I was. 
And I, um, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to start praying about this because I don't want to just go on with the rest of my evening feeling this way. What is it? And so I just began to pace back and forth, and I just began to pray. And as I began to pray, I began to discern in my spirit what was off. And I just began to discern that there was a fear of man that was ruling my life. I don't even remember. It's been probably 15 years since, since this experience happened. But it was like there were certain things, I think, that, I, that had happened earlier, uh, maybe that week or whatever, where I knew that I had conformed my behavior, done something that I shouldn't have done or not done something that God would have wanted me to do because I was af- afraid of what man would think. Are you following me? I, so this began with like a niggly in my heart. And in the place of prayer and seeking God, it became clear. And as I began to discern what was going on in my heart, I began to take, take it into its rightful place. I began to repent. God, I am sorry for fearing man. And as I began to turn my heart to the Lord, it's like something rose up inside of me of the almost indignation, almost like anger, that I would be limited because of a fear of man when there is a holy God who reigns over heaven and earth And he is the only one that should be feared. And I began to repent and say, God, I'm sorry that I would allow my my behavior to be conformed or limited because of fearing man. And and so I turned that fear of man, I turned to you, and I I fear the Lord. I fear you. And so, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever you don't want me to do, I won't do. And I just began to enter into this prayer connection where there was divine communication going on. Do you see how this is like a conversation? It began with me needing something, and I go to him, and it becomes crystal clear in the, in the place of seeking him. And the whole thing, and so I'm responding. He's giving me the niggly. I'm responding. He's showing me what the problem is. I'm responding to that. And as I do, there's like, the, it, the best way to describe it is if there had been like bonds of the earth holding me down, I felt those bonds loosing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like bands or something tying me down. I felt those bands loosing, and I, I, and, 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 even though it's a vulnerable and scary feeling to fully surrender to the Lord, it's also a freeing feeling. It's like your confidence is no longer in yourself. Your confidence is in God, and you, you feel free to do what you were created to do, which is to worship him. And so I, as I did that, I just began to, to worship him and connect with him, and, uh, and, and I felt free. You know what I'm saying? I dealt with this thing in my heart. Praise the Lord. And I get in my car, and I go to the church, and I, I don't know, I was doing youth ministry back in those days, and probably had to pick something up, and who knows what I, why I was there. But when I get there, there's a bunch of people there. Uh, there are kids that are stool, still in their school uniform, because we had a, a, a school that operated out of the church, and moms and dads picking their kids up and stuff like that. And I, I walk inside, and I'm, I'm just coming straight out of this, you know, this encounter with the Lord. And I'm talking to somebody, and I remember this lady, Stacy, walked up to me. All I'm doing is talking to somebody. And, and she walks up to me, hasn't said a thing to me. She go, looks at me and says, well, somebody has had time with the Lord today. She, I hadn't said a word to Stacy, And I smile back at her, and she goes, you look like you're glowing. Do you follow what I'm saying? In your presence is fullness of joy. How does it continue? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I couldn't have fabricated that. 
That comes from a son of God connecting with his daddy who wants to show you what is messing you up so that you can be free and receive joy. Not religion, joy. You following? So it begs the question, correct me if I'm wrong, how do we even do this? Well, I'll suggest one thing. How do we facilitate encounter? There's quite a lot of things I could say, but we're just going to point out one. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read this. In Revelations 3, verse 20, some of you have heard it many times, but let's hear it afresh and anew this morning. Revelations 3, Jesus, after having ascended, speaking from the right hand of God, speaks to his church, and he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and I just want to pause there. Did you catch that first two-letter word, if? If. We said on Thursday night, I think it was Nita, that God oftentimes speaks in terms of conditions. If you will, then will I. There is a condition which is empowering to you because it puts something within the scope of your power. If, and what is the condition? What do you need to do? If anyone hears my voice. When I had that niggly in my heart, that was me sensing there's something up. And when I turned my heart to him, said, Lord, and began to seek him about it, it began to become clear, hearing his voice. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Perhaps even as we've been talking this morning, some of you have heard the voice of Jesus. That may sound arrogant. Well, you're the preacher. Are you saying that you're Jesus? No, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but I am saying that he says that the anointing teaches us. No man teaches us. The anointing teaches us. And the anointing comes and can speak. And that's, the, that's Jesus himself speaking, knocking at the door of your heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens up. It's not enough to hear him speaking to you. You've got to open up. Open up to him. Open up to what he's trying to say to you. Receive what he's trying to say to you. Give your heart to it. Opens the door. What's going to happen? I will come in. Can I remind us that he's speaking not to non-Christians? He's speaking to the church. I will come in and do what? Into him and dine with him and he with me. Fellowship, experience, and encounter. I wonder if we can just do that right here, right now, in your own capacity. I oftentimes say, you know, if somebody says something to you, <laughs> in fact, my wife could testify that I violate this very lesson oftentimes with her. If somebody says something to you, it's rude to not respond to what they said and just go on with your thing. And there could be things that the Lord is speaking even to you in this moment, has been speaking to you this morning. It's important not just to have him speak to you, but to respond. Ninda says things to me, and shamefully, sometimes I just kind of go on with my thing. <laughs> Did you hear me? it would be helpful for me to hit pause and to digest what she says and respond and engage there. 
The Lord wants to do the exact same thing with you, I, I, I assure you, even right now. He wants to engage with you. So if you're hearing his voice, just to, um, just to open up the door.